Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Rebel Guru Radio. This is Rebel Guru Radio with best-selling spiritual author Eric Pepin. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash higher balance. Designed by the rebel guru himself, Eric Pepin, Magnetic Pill was made to enhance results with all higher balance training. Accelerate sensory development, achieve deeper meditations, better overall focus, and so much more. Go to magneticpill.com forward slash rebel for $10 off every month or get a three-month supply with our buy two, get one free special. Order now and we'll include a free guide listing three techniques you can start doing right away to hone your psychic mind. What if you were missing a crucial key to your awakening? Many spiritual teachers today believe that paranormal abilities are merely a distraction and not worth pursuing. In this episode, Meditation plus the Sixth Sense equals Mystical States of Consciousness, Eric goes against the grain and shares his thoughts. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for joining us for an episode of Rebel Guru Radio. I don't even know why we call it radio anymore. We just call it Rebel Guru Social Media or something. Anyway, I do have uh, Mark and Jesse in the background, so if you hear them piping up or have some questions, uh, you'll know what that's all about. So today we're going to cover meditation, and I'm going to give you uh, some really cool techniques and, and things that you can use and experience immediately. Uh, so I think this is going to be very good uh, information that we're going to be sharing. Uh, but if I don't get this out of the way, I certainly will forget it. Uh, like and subscribe uh, to get notified for future episodes when we do them because we're going to try to start picking them up and move them along on a regular basis here now. Uh, you can also go to rebelgururadio.com to submit your questions or comments to be featured on future episodes. Maybe even send them over if you can now. We'll, we'll see if we can get those questions in. Uh, foundation meditation, that's where we teach what I'm going to be talking about today. So if you like what you hear and you want something much more in-depth and more detailed, I think it's a couple hours, right? Yeah. Four hours. Right. Four hours. So we're doing that for you guys only for, for this episode. So get it while you can. 60% off. That's a smoking great deal. We want people to know what we have to offer. And the only way where you guys are going to know what we can bring to the table is if you try out some of our stuff. So 60% off, smoking good deal, excellent information, far beyond whatever I have time to cover today. So uh, it's good stuff. Uh, last but not least, Magnetic Pill. Uh, free trial, just pay for shipping. Uh, magneticpill.com forward slash trial, but don't try it because if you like it, you're going to want to keep getting it. So I'm just saying it's good stuff. Uh, it certainly increases my memory, certainly increases the rapid firedness, but most of all, it was made to expand your consciousness, meaning your sensory, your awareness. And I uh, guess you don't know until you try it. So try it out, check it out. So uh, free trial. The foundation, you got to get the website, is foundationmeditation.com. 
Okay, so foundationmeditation.com, if you want to go there, it's www.foundationmeditation.com. All right, all right. All right, what do we got? First question here says, I'm 64. I've been doing your meditation now for four weeks, and I'm having a lot of trouble with the babbler in my mind. Do you have any tips or suggestions to help silence the babbler? Sure. For those of you guys who may not know, and I try to gear these kind of uh, shows towards people who are more on the newer side being introduced to HBI versus kind of long timer. So those of you guys who have been around for a while, you know where to find other stuff. So you look, the babbler is the little voice that's in your head when you're trying to have non-thought. That means not thinking. Okay. That doesn't mean that you're not conscious, that you can't have thought. It's just mainly referencing the idea of talking in your head when it's absolutely not necessary for you to rationalize anything you want. But it's not something you can do easily, okay? For those of you guys who who, uh, have worked with it, listen, having the babbler in your head is probably one of the most ancient battles for meditation that you can even imagine. I mean, it's just an, an ongoing thing. And anybody who says that they have no issue with it, I would probably say I smell some malaki, okay? So don't feel bad about your own uh, process of trying to work through the babbler. So a couple things that you have to keep in mind is that the babbler is connected to your body more or less. If your body's uncomfortable, it's going to talk. If you, or it's gonna, you know, get it to fire up more or less, more so than normal. Uh, drinking certain stimulants like coffee, soda, stuff like that, anything with caffeine is going to contribute to getting that babbler going until you get it under greater control. Uh, the first thing that I would say that is a trick, and you guys should write these down, okay, is simply being okay with the fact that you have the babbler talking. So a lot of people, when they're meditating, they will kind of start thinking about the laundry or issues in their life or their problems, whatever, and they start talking about it. And then all of a sudden they're like, damn it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to meditate and, you know, all this talk is so frustrating. I just wish it would stop. First mistake. Uh, you've got to be okay with the babbler. You got to be, you got to be like, you know, like, you know, thank you to my consciousness for making me aware eventually that I'm talking. Interestingly enough, this shaves a percentage of how much the babbler is fired up. It kind of takes away from the fuel. So this tells me that this is also psychological. So the more okay you are with something, the less psychological fuel it has for the babbler to fire up. So it helps diminish it in in portions. And that's how I like to say that with all the techniques that I'm gonna give you to help bring the babbler down, is you gotta think of them as, as percentages, even small percentages, but you stack them in your favor and eventually it becomes big. But if you're not okay with the babbler and you're not finding a positive way to have that relationship, then it's just going to make it stronger. So that's the first thing. You got to be okay with it. Second of all, uh, you know, simple breathing exercises are very, very, very powerful. So for instance, when you have an issue, maybe you got anxiety about, you know, uh, a work situation or anxiety about a neighbor, you just kind of want to take that thought, that feeling. You want to breathe in fresh prana, energy, cult, whatever you want, bring it in. And then you got to think about that issue without really getting emotionally involved. 
and you want to exhale it. I always think of it like cigarette smoke, I hate to say, or expelling something. You don't want to be overdramatic about it. You just want to be very relaxed. But what you're saying is you're giving yourself a time out from that issue. So you've, you have to understand that you may be worried about dealing with it. So your first anxiety is if I forget about it, maybe I'm not going to deal with it and it's going to become a bigger problem. Hence, your thoughts end up being your worst enemy for the babbler. So the idea is you've got to know in the back of your head that if I'm going to expel it out and take a time out from it, that it's okay in the back of your head to know that I'll get back to it after the meditation or after, you know, a little while today. It doesn't matter whether I think about it right now or I think about it later, okay? It's still going to be the same result more than likely. So you've got to give yourself permission to take a time out with issues. I say don't blow out more than three issues, but whatever the prime ones you think that are on your mind, just inhale, think of the issue, and I like the drama, you know, of making those what we call dragon breath. Uh, it helps to kind of cement the idea that you're releasing. There's a little bit of sound, a little bit of orientation to a process. So I think it's kind of important for that. So continuing, um, you know, as far as dealing with the, the babbler, I'm gonna share probably something I don't know if I've shared before. There's so many things I've taught that it's, it's hard to remember what I said where. But one of the things that you want to start doing, and all you old timers out there who've been doing HBI stuff, listen up, okay? When you're in your vehicle, most of the time you probably do a lot of thinking in there because your driving is automated at this point. You're kind of aware of everything really well. You're familiar with stuff. So, it's, so you're not really thinking about driving necessarily, but you are in a great position to start to uh, become self-aware, okay, or mindful, okay, of non-thought. So for instance, Try to ask yourself, how long can I go without talking while visually observing and operating the vehicle? So in other words, it's easier to, to consciously be looking with your eyes out and doing something that is all automated, doesn't really require any thought or a minimal amount of verbal thought. And what you want to do is you want to take notice of how long you can go without talking. And then you want to keep kind of working with that on and off for little kind of stretches, micro stretches, perhaps at first, longer stretches. But the, the point is, is it's a lot easier to do in a situation like that. When you tend to, to sit down for meditation, it's like your consciousness kind of knows, oh, we're going to have to sit down and we have to do this, you know, and it's grateful to do that. But the body always wants to run the show. So when you're in a vehicle, you just kind of want to just stare out, almost kind of like, like not spacing out because you're driving, okay? But you're really learning to use your body with non-thought because you're driving the car and you're having to, to maybe fiddle with stuff, okay? And in that sense, it's really ideal because it's teaching you to relax the body and getting comfortable with that and having long stints of non-thought, so what's going to happen is, is after you practice that for, let's say, a week or two, you're going to find that there's a dramatic difference in your non-thought sessions as you're meditating. And that's really something you need to check out and see, see if I'm right or wrong about, about your mind being a little bit more approachable while driving a vehicle. So those are some tips uh, to help you with, um, you know, attaining non-thought. But the, the number one thing that I, I want to reiterate is that I think that most people think that non-thought means that you don't think, and that's not true at all. That's just a misconception, and, and 
misunderstanding. A lot of spiritual teachers or whatnot, you know, they don't really explain it well. And I wonder sometimes if they even understand that. But you have awareness. The idea is to, to kind of look at a piece of paper. And without saying it's a piece of paper, is simply just acknowledge it. Acknowledge a coffee cup, acknowledge the table without saying what it is. But where you could say, well, well, how do I know if I'm really acknowledging it? Then write it on a piece of paper, everything that you decided to look at the table. Turn, write it all down. That's a confirmation that you're processing, you're thinking. And it's always at a higher level once you start to get used to minimalizing, marginalizing, you're kind of talking in your head. But it really comes from self-awareness, and you don't have to be aware of talking in your head just when you meditate. You want to be aware of it almost at any time that's ideal, when you're sitting on a park bench or whether you're trying to just have some quiet time somewhere. Those are ideal situations where you should be mindful of the fact that you are not chatting in your mind. Is that helpful, you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. What else? Um... When I meditate, should I touch a chakra point and observe prana, just like how I admire more than one tone? I'm confused if I should be focusing on visualizing prana coming into the chakra point or focus on the feels like of it, like water flowing into a drain. Okay, so let's let's take a, a step back. The higher balance meditation that I teach is um, multifaceted. It's, it's made in one part for... Um, you know, your, your standard relaxation, your mind clarity, your balancing of your emotional energies and just inner peace. When you attain these things or you incorporate them, you then kind of also at the same time with, with what we teach, uh, we have you build what we call your dimensional body, your soul, your, your causal energy, your frequency, okay? In so doing, we believe that like your body, everything needs an exchange of energy, meaning food, if you will. Your body started off very small and over time through nutrition, it's built up to what it is today. It's built on materials, okay, which are another form of energy, if you will. So if you think of your physical or your spiritual body coexisting, okay, the thing is, is most people don't think that it too needs a form of food, a form of nourishment in order to robustly build it, to, to give it the kind of energy it needs so that it can unfold itself or unfurl itself. So by thinking about prana, meaning energy in the air, when you think about it, it's like a static in the air and you can see it often if you're in a dark room, you can see maybe some visible objects in a room, but you will see a static fuzz. Pay attention to the fuzz because that's a first step of inner acknowledgement of this energy, okay? So what you're doing is you're imagining or visualizing that there's prana in a room and you're breathing it in and that there goes into feeding your dimensional body, if you will, okay? So when you touch a chakra, okay, here or here, it is the stimulation of the touch that affects your neural system, your nervous system. And much like for the older generation, touching a TV antenna that's coming in kind of staticky, you touch it, it comes in great, you let go, it comes in staticky. Maybe for some people, they understand the same thing with a radio or of some type or whatever, whatnot. With technology, I'm going to have to come up with a new one to explain that one, but... But the bottom line is that when you touch, you're affecting the nervous system of your body. The idea is to have non-thought because you're completely mentally committed to being aware of that feeling for as long as you can, okay? So 
while you're doing that, you have what we call an arc, and that arc is a very specific frequency, if you will. So this would be a different frequency, this is a different frequency from here, so on and so forth. So we say to people, if you want to build inner joy or happiness or have more positive things happen in your life, you want to kind of focus here and feed that kind of energy or have it converted into a kind of energy that feeds that vibration, that frequency that emanates out. If you need to be more grounded or you feel like things are out of control in your life and frustrating and stuff, you need to kind of maybe bring your energy down. So we would say just below your, your belly button, you want to kind of work on that grounding chakra and just be aware of it. That's all it takes. If you want to expand your consciousness or increase your memory or increase your awareness or psychic sensory, you want to do your mind charter. Again, different frequency, different arc in the nervous system, how it's traveling through your spine and your body as you're attracting prana or energy. So that's a, a very brief understanding of that. Okay. So when you're asking, you know, should you observe prana or, or put your, you don't have to think about prana more than maybe starting off your session and doing a few breathing exercises and thinking about the prana coming in. It's very hard to, to multitask between thinking, oh, I got to do prana and then I've got to, to think about my chart point. Listen, you're only going to feed the babbler with what should I do now kind of talk. Okay. Or am I doing it right? So start off on the most simple way. One thing at a time. First thing, breathing in prana. Second, just 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 focus on nothing but being aware of the sensation of touching your chakra points, okay? That in itself, as it builds, will create an effect, a spiritual effect. Almost everybody who first starts off doing this, and if they do it correctly, you're going to have really unique things happen. You're going to feel like this popping sensation. You're going to open up one eye, but you're not moving. So you're kind of like, what the heck's going on? Other times you're going to feel a heavy vibration or you're going to see fluttering of light. Anytime you open your eye, you're going to notice there's nothing there. You're even going to feel like you're laying over sideways one way and you're like, you're going to open your eye sideways and you're going to realize I'm, I'm perfectly in the same position. How is that possible? After you go through those, those are all adjustments to your energy. It's from focusing on your chakra point. Now, most people, they automate in their meditation and they forget to stay focused and how critical and how powerful it is just to focus on that spot and just nothing, nothing. It sounds too simple to be true, but I assure you, it's quite profound, the, the effects that come from that. So... Um, I wouldn't worry about thinking about prana when you actually engage into working with your chakras. And it's very simple, just touch sensation. I know that somewhere is on here, um, I think Jesse, it was your thing where you were having trouble with that and it was mentioned to you from, from us to maybe try some Tiger Balm. Tiger Balm's basically a heated kind of cream for muscles and stuff. And you gotta be very careful. It gets on your hand and on your eyes if you're not careful. But in the, the early days when I was first meditating, this was a challenge for me already. And one of the things is we discovered that by putting the Tiger Balm on there, it held our attention. It's like you, you don't have to have your fingers there. And you don't have to keep your fingers there the whole time. You just want to do it just, just unconsciously kind of being aware of doing it once you can't find the sensation that was once there from touching it. So you can either hold it for a while, let your hand relax, but keep focusing on it, or bring it back. So I just want to clear that up. So the, the Tiger Balm, 
obviously doesn't need you to keep touching it and it's very intense. So you're not, this is not something you're going to do indefinitely. It's something you're going to do until you train yourself to have that kind of awareness. I don't even need to touch these spots anymore. When I just think about it, it just feels like there's pressure there automatically. But that took time for me to get to and you'll get there also. Um, but there you have that. I also wanted to say that um, in my experience, I'll still use it every once in a while if I really want to get the chakras kind of like revved up. Yep. And um, I find that if I do keep my fingers there, it's even stronger. If I really want to focus on getting it going again, um, I find that it's very, very, yeah. very helpful. Yeah, any any little tricks like that, you just got to be careful, you know, when you're using stuff like that, that's all. What else? Is there a specific way other than thinking of reaching out with your heart center and touching the object you want to scan that you use when feeling out the energy around you? Because I have always had the experience that I kind of activate the energy of the object I'm going to sense in order to feel it. Both of those are, are perfectly fine. This is a, a little bit more complicated and it's kind of strained away from the meditation uh, aspect. So I don't know exactly how you are are really, is that your question mark? That's not mine. No. Oh, okay. No, I think we have other questions that are about meditation. Well, like we should be focusing yeah, on meditation yeah. and I shouldn't be getting any other questions other than that. Uh, we've got to stay focused, but I'm going to answer that because it's been brought up now. Okay. So look, when you, when you kind of let yourself experience something, you don't, it's not just doing it where you're expanding and you take it all in and isolate something. It's anything your mind or thought is invoked to, you can start to experience what we call simulation. So on the wall here, we have some sound boards and it's, it's kind of like a felt like or not felt but it's a it's a kind of a cloth material uh a suede and it has a wood frame and everything so so i would immediately and this is kind of how my mind works anything my eyes set on i feel that the base structure of that unless i want to feel more of it okay so there's there's different aspects to feeling something because i looked at it or because i'm feeling the whole room and something's drawing me to it so it doesn't matter which one but I don't know what the relevance may be. You know, I wish we had some more follow-up on that in regards to meditation because I'm not sure how, how you're applying that at the moment. Okay. So uh, another question here is, uh, what are your thoughts on meditating with your animals or pets in the room sitting near, near you? They... I'm kind of anti-pets um, uh, with meditating. As everybody knows, I love cats. I love dogs. I love all animals. And... The thing is, is that when you are meditating nine times out of 10, your consciousness is shifting. And what will happen is, is that your, your pet, which is usually very sensitive to you and naturally more sensitive than humans, all of a sudden is attracted to you. And I think that they sense that there's like kind of, I wouldn't say a disturbance, but I would imagine that if you were to pass out, let's say, that maybe your pets may become a little bit concerned or curious, okay? In this particular case, when you check out from the babbler and you're in this other state where there's just, just calm and nothingness, it's detachment. It's detachment from reality, detachment from the matrix, if you will. You're, you're kind of removing everything from your consciousness, which really allows the highest level of you to start to unfold because there's nothing obstacle suppressing it, getting in the way. Animals tend to, to sense that 
and there's not a defining identity for them. It's not something that they can relate to or feel from you as much. Um, the other thing is, is that I think like dogs can smell um, pheromones. And I think that just like when people have fear and it, it, they, you know, an animal can track that per se. I think that when you go deep into meditation, you really are shutting down a lot of these olfactory or these sensory kind of smells or scents from your body, which is really a big portion of how a dog relates to you or monitors your, your mental state. So when, when that is removed, that's alarming in a sense to, to your pet. So for instance, I don't know if you've ever been into in a, a really sound dampened room, um, but it's a very different feeling when you go in there. It's, it's like you can't really hear things the way you normally do, and it kind of makes your breathing more shallow. So in a weird way, I think that, not that the dog is getting more shallow breath, but they, they have that sense of something kind of suppressed or something kind of fading out of their normal sensory, which which makes them want to come into your lap or come over and purr on you or crawl on you or move around you. So nine times out of 10, that's the case. I strongly urge that you remove the pet from the room, put it in a different room where you're not going to be bothered by it. For short meditation, it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, I do have a, a dog and um, He's pretty much trained at this point not to bother me unless it's something really serious. So when I meditate, I can do a good hour. And at this stage, he just simply stays, you know, in his own space. You know, maybe we'll bark if something happens, but nine times out of 10, there's generally silence. So it's not that your pets can't learn to do it. I think it's an introductory uh, uh, situation where they can feel comfortable with it. But uh, some, some pets are just higher, stronger than others, and it's just not going to be realistic. Your question. Yeah, I'll go with my question. Um, do you have any tips on meditating in a park? Like with when, when you have all sorts of bugs, distractions? Yeah, well, when you have lots of bugs and lots of distractions, I recommend that you don't meditate in the park. Um, I think that different parks uh, have different situations, um, and also different times of the season uh, will have an effect. Um, when... I meditate in parks and stuff. Um, I really don't recall having an issue with flies or mosquitoes or anything. So I think that if you're outside of a park setting, like going out into the wood woods, okay to meditate, then you're probably going to have a more likelier uh, situation with insects and stuff. So I don't know if I'd recommend just wearing stuff to get rid of them, but if you really are intent on meditating out there, you know, some off spray or something to do the best you can, but you just got to accept the consequences, you know. I, I, I'm just recalling that when Eric Robeson gave his story about the tree, before that had happened, um, you guys were meditating and there were gnats all over and you said that gnats were attracted to consciousness is yeah. what he said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was a long time ago, so I don't remember quite saying that, but it's it's certainly feasible that when you shift your energy that unusual things are going to happen. I think that that is something I said, but it might have been slightly taken out of context. Um, but um, you're going to have different stuff. You're going to have people attracted to you. You're going to have, I've had animals walk up to me, um, not just dogs or cats or, you know, but I've literally had neutrino uh, come up to me, birds. Um, I've had animals, birds land on my lap. Uh, you know, insects, whatever, can be and may be attracted also. It depends. It's only when you really go really deep in most cases. 
Um, how often do you recommend meditating out in nature? Like how and how important is it to do that? Every well, day? look, if you this this is the thing, and you always got to be thinking about how do you up your game to your advantage when you're out in nature. By default, your mind gets calmer. That's just something primitive in us. It's it's the environment, it's the trees, it's the air, if everything is ideal. When we're at home, there's a whole bunch of preset um, expectations on your environment, the familiarity of it. It it sometimes works against you than for you. Um, so therefore, I think that going out in nature when possible, or even to, you know, I used to say to people who were in colder climates, find a uh, place that grows plants and trees and go in there and see if you can find a place to meditate in there because it's usually warmer and it's green and stuff. But in general, I would probably say twice a week to three times a week, you should try to get out into nature and try to meditate. You're going to simply have less babbling. It definitely brings it down by 15 to 30% depending on the situation. So that's an advantage to you to get more and more familiar, more comfortable with non-thought. You're just stacking things to your advantage. When you're at home, I think that you can have um, different sounds in the distant background that kind of get your babbler kind of going. Like you might hear someone come home and they put their keys down and there's a whole routine or a whole normal conversation. And now your, your brain is having the anxiety of, oh, I need to go deal with this person or, or let them know what I'm doing or who knows what. Same thing with kids. Same thing with, you know, maybe beeping in the background from various um, appliances. So... Having silence or having it as, as preferably quiet as possible without disturbance is ideal. Hence the reason also why we use music. There's a lot of advantages in your home. I don't know if I would be as as likely to suggest meditating with music outdoors, but it's, it's certainly something I have done for, for a couple decades now. So, um, Just thinking of questions. Um, when you meditate in nature, is there a benefit because is the prana more more coming out the trees well it's richer there yeah. there i think prana for the most part is something that's a constant everywhere even in this room right now it's it's everywhere bottom of the ocean you know out in space everywhere but i do believe that there is a uh condensed or a thicker level whenever you're dealing with vegetation or plant life or moving water or any of these things i think that that just simply strengthens the robustness of it but i don't think it's really necessary one way or the other i think it, you can as long as you're good at, at focusing on drawing it in you're not gonna have any problem uh, a viewer's asking a question about do we do we have to sit up in the meditation that you teach well this is um, this is the thing this is a, a long going thing um i prefer my number one choice but you got two options my number one choice is to obviously sit in a half lotus. That's what I prefer. That's what I think reaps the greatest rewards, but it's also the greatest challenge because your body can be a little bit uncomfortable. You're, you know, you kind of keeping your, yourself in the best position that you can for your posture. And that can be fatiguing. But once you've done it enough and you've disciplined yourself enough, I don't really think about those things. You know, I'm a, I'm a big guy. I mean, I'm not the epitome of, of physical fitness. But for the most part, um, once I kind of get past the first minute or so, it's almost it just feels so right to me and it feels so comfortable. And so I think anybody can get there. And I do recommend the HBI uh, meditation cruisers. Uh, they're like these strap things and that you put on and 
let me tell you, they make a huge difference. They will double your meditation effortlessly just by using them. It doesn't mean it's effortless, but it will definitely double whatever. If you're doing 10 minutes, it's going to give you 20. If you get 20, it'll give you 40. Okay, that's how I look at it. They're just fantastic. And I still use mine to this day, and I've had mine 30-something years now. Uh, the other option you have is to sit in a chair. And what I tell people is not every chair is ideal. You don't want a big cushy chair. You don't want one that's an armchair. You don't want one that you're going to be too comfortable in. You literally kind of almost want a kitchen uh, chair, something without arms to rest your hands on, just a basic chair, wood, metal, whatever you want, but the most basic. So it's supporting your body. You're in a sitting position. So what you want to do is you just want to make sure that your feet aren't crossed, that they're both flat on the ground, and that your hands are in a resting position like so. Okay, I don't know if you guys can see that or not. You just put it there. What, what we call Buddha style versus other styles. So in, in, in essence, um, that's just kind of where, where you would want to go with that. I don't know. I kind of lost my train of thought now. I got thinking about something else that was important to say and then whoop, off it went, yeah. you know. Um, uh, do you have any questions on there? I'll just uh, keep going. There, there's, you yeah. got one? I was just going to say, she was asking because she has like spinal problems. So I guess like, yeah. she's saying laying down is. You know, well, listen, that's better. third. And laying down, for some people, it's absolutely mandatory. But here's the thing. When you're laying down, your, your body's used to sleeping in that position. So 10 to 1, you're going to get too restful and maybe go into a sleep state. This is why sitting is more conscious. Standing is very alert and active. Laying down is usually telling your body it's time to go into a deep rest or go into sleep. So any sleep, sitting position, half lotus or sitting in a chair is kind of helping your mind stay focused to where it needs to be. But if, if that's not realistic for you, then I would say when you meditate and you're going to lay down, just simply make sure that um, you are as rested as you possibly can be so that you don't fall asleep. So in other words, maybe an hour after you've waken up or you've taken a nap for 20, 30 minutes, and then maybe a half hour from then, you're, you're going to go and do a meditation. It's just working with the system and however your body works, but everybody has a way to work with the system you just got to figure it out i mean we're talking so much about meditation i'm just wondering um if we should talk about why what why the importance of the meditate what people get out of our meditation what you know what what we're trying to do okay well look like I said, we have different layers that are built into our meditation. The first thing is is to give you mental clarity um inner confidence. Um, uh, sharper uh, memory, sharper, pretty much everything. Just You're just more balanced. You're more calm. You're more mentally able to process information. Um, you're uh, uh, less prone to have peaks of, of emotions that may be undesirable. So you, you have a, a better inner control. The second part to it is uh, I think meditation is great if you just want to simply relax and have mental clarity. But for me... I have questions about the universe. I have questions about time and space and reality. So what most people don't realize is that when you think of meditation, I, I you know, meditation was always designed, in my opinion, to go into your consciousness, into your mind, and that mind being able to expand out. So the idea of it becoming for relaxation or what I call new ageified. Um, or westernized by Americans and stuff and kind of cheapened. Um, 
I think that that's good, but it's not really what it was made for. It's not really, it's, th that was just a perk for the people who couldn't take it further is how I feel. Um, I have seen things like, like that are just inspire me so much spiritually, mentally, um, about the universe, about time, about life and death, about my, my own journey in life. Um, I have seen worlds. I have seen things in such crisp detail that is unearthly. It's, it's, it's just mind blowing. Um, I have felt and experienced things that I have never felt on the greatest symphony of music, if you will. Um, the idea of, of one could say that at some point you touch the face of God is really a very, sh very limiting statement to, to what you really can feel. The only thing I can say is that, you know, one time I, I had done ayahuasca and usually when you get near the end of ayahuasca, you know, they'll, they'll kind of put a blanket on you and there's like, you know, you, I was on a, on a bed at that time, a blanket on you and you feel this like, um, it's almost like being rocked, but you're humming at the same time. I, I think of it like thousands of little uh, tingshaws going off in each cell. This is this beautiful hum, and it's it's this incredible sensation of God or the universe, and that you're immersed in it. And I recognize that experience immediately for meditations I have had. Now, not every meditation is going to do that, but there are times when you kind of go down this one route where you kind of just immerse into the to the universe with this incredible vibratory uh, experience and it's profound. And this form of meditation we teach certainly will deliver that um, and much more. So the idea is that by developing what I call the sixth sense or psychic abilities, but throw out the whole new age concept and, you know, 50 years of, of psychic books and all this other crap, okay? Get down to the nuts and bolts of primitive instinct, which is truly the psychic aspect, uh, truly sensory, uh, that is truer form of telepathy. Like telepathy isn't hearing words in your head. It's empathetically feeling something and then figuring out right away what that is. And then all of a sudden that's a form of telepathy. So this goes on and on, but by developing your, your psychic awareness through this other portion of the meditation, the only way to experience something that's beyond our physical dimension that your five senses, your five general senses pick up on, there are other senses designed to be more acute to energies and frequencies and beings or entities and the life force of nature and just so much more. And it's, it is the, the skill that brings you or knowledge uh, grabbing ability to expand your, your experience spiritually or mentally or consciously. And in, in my opinion, it's a necessity. But I don't want people to think that it's like typical New Age stuff. I think everybody should just burn their books on New Age stuff and start over if you really want profound uh, results. I often say to people, look, if you've been on this path for 20, 30 years, I'm very grateful that you give me a chance because I, I know I can be, I can rub the, you know, a certain way. But if, if you consider this, look, whatever it is, if you're still looking, isn't working. And if it's not working, I'm saying literally put it aside, dump your mind, don't, don't get the ego, you know, like, oh, I've done all these years, I know so much information. Clearly it ain't working. 
if you give this a chance, I assure you, it will work. Okay, it will deliver what you're looking for. You just simply have to apply it and it works very quickly. So I don't know if that answers the question or not. I'm on a, another rant. I don't know if I'm going on too, too much. I don't remember what the question was. That yeah. was really good. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, so I want to cover a few things though, you. you know, you guys are, you know, yeah. um, there's a few other exercises that I want you to consider doing. Okay. There's something that we call me and I, and basically what you do is you just kind of clear your mind and you sit and you say to yourself, me, and you got to think about it. You got to feel me. Okay. Like what are you, what are you identifying when you're doing this? Me, like you're talking to somebody, me, me. And what, what I don't even almost don't want to tell you what the feels to that, so you can't say that, I, but do it with somebody else who doesn't know and see what they would spot. But when you say me, it's very dense. And I refer to that as being aware of your physical body. When you switch to the word I and you do the same exact thing, I, I, you're going to feel an etherealness, a very lightness, a very... Uh, uh, disconnected from the physical body. And this is the first step in your consciousness where you're identifying two vessels that hold your consciousness, your organic body and your dimensional body, which we call a soul or whatever you want to call it. And by just simply becoming aware of it on the most simplest level is huge considering you may never have had a system to do that, to identify that with. So the more you identify with your I versus your me, starts to distill it, starts to bring up its consciousness, its vibration. So when you're meditating, it enhances that also. The second thing that I would like for you guys to do, just to give you an example of what you are working with, is, you know, various, I don't, I don't want to knock other belief systems, but let's just say, you know, you, you see people who put out their hands on their knees and, you're, you know, they're going through their, their, their mudras, if you will, or whatnot. That's one way, okay? But I lean towards a different way of, of meditating, and I will kind of give you the, the example for this. When you sit and you put your hands aside, I want you to be aware of your chest and stomach area. You will feel an openness, almost as if the energy is just kind of flowing outward from you. When you put your hand in hand in your, in your lap and let it rest there, within a matter of seconds, you will feel like a, a very faint warming or reservoir building up and that's your energy. It's pooling, it's building up. So you want that buildup, especially when you're drawing in medita uh, prana, when you're doing your, your work with it, because it's that energy that's gonna burst you forward eventually to higher states of consciousness and awareness. Uh, by having your hands open, let's just say it's going to direct it in, in other ways that, that I don't think are nearly as beneficial to to the uh, main objection of what you're trying to achieve. We do use mudras not in the foundation meditation. We do. Yeah. And can we talk about why or what we, you know what, what those techniques are or no. why? Okay. Because you're just mis you're just leading me once again off of the subject that I really feel like we need to get across. Okay. Um, some, there, did you have anything else, Eric? Or no, no, here? that's fine. Um, someone's saying when they when they meditate and go deep, they can see geometric patterns and series of lines, and sometimes a vision. Is there an explanation for this, or just imagination? Sure. Um, look, geometric designs are what I would call the computer code to reality. So, in computer coding, you have symbols. You could say that geometric designs are your consciousness's way of expressing to you some of the written kind of reality code, okay? Um, visions, look, 
I don't encourage people to focus on visions because we are so TV and movie oriented and visually oriented that it tends to activate our minds to kind of go to this lower mundane everyday kind of place. And that's what excites us. It's what we, we want to do. We, we've learned that we are entertained visually. So I try to discourage people from actively trying to pursue the visual because you really are just being um, detoured. Okay, you're being you're being kind of distracted from achieving what is something even bigger. Okay, when you have visions, they're they're kind of, you're kind of there. You kind of see it. And you have various levels of that from very faint, you know, transparent kind of, you know, images of stuff to very crisp. When you ignore all that and you kind of go very deep for a long time or you have sessions and you want for nothing, you're not putting any condition on anything. <coughs> the visual experience goes beyond visual. It becomes another form of reality. Because, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell an old story. One of the first times that I really had a, a breakthrough when I was very young, I was meditating at the um, uh, YMCA. YMCA. Thank you. And it was a group of people and it was a group being taught. And so we had all sorts of different, but it was kind of, I remember it being like a cement floor and we had metal fold out chairs for this little room we were in. And I kind of went in half Lotus in this fold out metal chair. So I put my feet up on, on the, you know, this kind of metal portion I was sitting on got into a comfortable situation and I went very deep and it was my first kind of breakthrough other than than other stuff I experienced but a really good breakthrough and I was meant to and eventually you don't hear the traffic outside you know it's just like like if you move somewheres and you 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 live near trains which we all been young or I'm young and I had to live through you know a lot of trains next door um you tend to to fade that out of your consciousness and not be aware of it after a week or two um same goes for traffic or highways or anything like that so when you meditate you start to remove your awareness as you go deep very quickly of traffic outside or people talking down the hall or whatever, once you really kind of get fairly good at it. And what happens, it was nothingness and just black. And, you, and I was okay with that. I was like, yeah, it's just nothingness. It's just good shut down time, quiet. Just, just sit there and be myself. I always say, we want stimulation all the time, but you want to think of yourself as being a big seed, a seed that's dormant, but not dormant at all. It's, it's preparing its awakening. It's absorbing energies in order to make its push to life. And that's how you have to look at that. You, you, I see myself as this dormant kind of state, but I'm, I also understand that I'm, I'm ready to, to unfurl at some point. I'm working towards that. What happened was that, um, I seen there was absolutely nothingness, pure black, and I seen what looked like a little silvery, like when you shut off an old black and white TV, it kind of pops and it gets like this little bright light and then it disappears. So it's it's a very intense light, but it doesn't hurt your eyes. And what happened was I, I thought, you know, to, I'm, I'm kind of, not with words, but consciously being aware, but to, to explain to you this, um, I simply observed and I thought it was really cool, really fascinating, but it looked very different than visions I had had for other stuff. It almost seemed like this was a bit more mundane in a way. And all of a sudden it started to widen and it looked like it was fluttering in and out a little bit until it became a line, literally a line from one horizon to the other that was this liquidy, silvery brilliance. 
And I thought, okay, it's just a thin line. I don't know how far away, not too far away. And then I seen it getting wider and wider and wider. And it was still this, this liquidy silver, like mercury almost, but illuminating. And I realized at some point that this is not getting wider. It's already massive. I'm a speck and it's coming at me from a very far distance very quickly. And before it had really any more realizations, okay, it literally was on me and hit me. When it hit me, I flew out of the chair. I had a physical reaction because my, my body was overwhelmed by, by something's going to hit me. It's like a Mack truck. And I, the, the metal chair fell down. There was all sorts of noise. I'm, you know, breathing heavy, like, oh my God, what's going on? Um, fucking good stuff. Sorry, but it was, it's, it's, this is the kind of stuff you work for that inspire you. This is why I, I wanted meditation that if you just sit and do nothing for 30 years, it's not enough. And it's okay to say that you need confirmation at some point in your life that your life journey, your life's passion, your life's pursuit of your spirituality is valid. And how that comes is from experiences that simply encourage you to work harder for greater experiences. And that's how I see it. And those experiences usually are life-changing. And that's the good stuff. And that's what is a part, not completely, a part of what you're working towards in your pursuit of, of, of consciousness and, and, and mindfulness. It's, there's that deep aspect that you need. You need that, that flow of balance and calm and clarity, and you work on that a lot. But at the same token, when you're working with the energy, the other part of the meditation, it's going to expand your consciousness so that sensory can see things that your other sensories could not, just like that light I seen and, and everything. That came from a, a psychic awareness that looks so freaking beyond real much more vivid, much more intense. And there was even a sound and feeling to that, much like the earlier thing I was talking about. And did the feeling from after being hit, did it last? Did oh yeah, it lasted. Mm -hmm. It probably was the one push that pursued me so strongly in the idea of meditation and how useful it was to me as a person who was doing psychic work at that time. It really changed everything for me. Um, I don't want to, maybe, I don't know if you want to go into too far, but what, what was it? What was that? The, the light? Yeah. Um, you know, it was a long time ago. I, I'd like, love to give you an answer, but I'm not going to BS. Okay. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, I think that had I, um, pushed myself into it. In fact, I'm, I, I, you know, or, you know, fine. I'll, I'll say what I have to say. Um, I think it was an entrance into the white room. Um, I think that, that had I remained there, I would have seen what would have been the source of, of our simulated reality per se, or something of that level. Wow. Yeah. Had I been, more skilled in the calm aspect of the meditation and holding my shit together at that time. I mean, I was like 20 years old, 19 years old. I don't remember anymore. Um, I think that I would have went in no problem. Now I found other methods of, of doing those things, but at that time, yeah. I mean, I remember an experience, not nearly probably as, as profound as that, but early on the energy getting so strong that I thought I was going to start floating and I freaked out and I jumped out of my chair and it like scared yeah. me but then the energy kept washing over me and yeah. it just felt like yeah. pure 
love. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. I would say 90% of experiences reach fail, instant fail, before you even get the full experience or any of the experience because you get overexcited biologically and it's normal. But this is why you've got to put in countless hours, okay, of being calm and non-emotional and keeping your, your emotions at kind of a, a suppressed level of just being relaxed. And when you really get that down, when that moment happens for a tenth of a second, you're going to feel that that knee-jerk reaction, but but you're going to catch it and you're just going to hold it. And if you can hold it, that's when the, when, when <laughs> the crazy stuff happens, the, the stuff that you really would like to experience. But as long as you don't have that that inner calm um the knee-jerk reaction just keeps you grounded and yeah. it's it's an endless battle so people can go decades with without being able to to get past that you know and that's I, why we designed it the way we did yeah because I, I at that time i had no idea what, what was happening yeah and it was just like <laughs> yeah yeah uh i don't believe there's anything that's going to harm you in a meditation it's yeah. such a pure practice it's such a divine process that you, i really i i really don't think there's other than maybe releasing kundalini energy too much you get muscle cramps up and down your spine highly unlikely in fact i mean as miserable as you may be <laughs> if that happened you know there would be a smirk on one's face knowing that you actually tapped that and mm -hmm. got that to happen um, other than that, there really isn't other than physically, you know, maybe being too exertive on your body and just being aware of that. Uh, is that a question here? Sure. Um, feeling the warmth of your energy when we put our hands in front of your lower belly. Uh, I felt that warmth and it feels like a ray of yellow, orange, warm light coming from the ground and going up to the heavens. When we have the, an experience like that, do you just let it go, or catch it, hold it? I think that that one, that's a, an interpretation for, for someone. I don't want everybody to think that that's what they should experience. That's another big problem is that a lot of times people will describe something they're experiencing, they're legitimately experiencing it. And then everybody wants to cookie cut that idea as what they should expect to have happen. And once you've done that, you actually put a cap on anything happening or any movement. So the first thing you want to do is never adapt uh, some of these uh, traditional ways of, of looking at that or being defined, okay? But sure, um, don't get caught up. Everything is a distraction. Everything is a distraction in the beginning when you meditate. And so when you experience certain things, it's wonderful, but experience it in a, a mindful way, meaning without words in your head, just simply, simply experience. Just like if, if I go into a hot tub, I will go in a hot tub, you know, and you kind of get in there. But once you're in there, all of a sudden the heat starts sitting and you're like, ah, okay. So it's kind of like that. You want to allow that, ah, from whatever you're feeling, just don't ponder in words like, oh, I wonder what temperature the water is. I wonder if the, the jets should be on or not. I wonder, is that a mosquito coming near my head? Damn it. You, you've got to focus and experience emotionally what's there, but in a non-emotional way. And I, that may not make sense, but it makes perfect sense in that moment. Someone's asking, what do you think about psychedelics and meditation, especially if you are experienced in going deep? 
listen, if, if you're experienced going deep and you've got experience with psychedelics and you're responsible and you can utilize them in a spiritual shamanistic way and not in a recreational way, 100% for it. I, I don't have a problem, but as long as you are respective and responsible and, you know, cautious. But here's the problem with using psychedelics versus going into deeper states. It takes a fear level of self-discipline. If you think you're babbling now, I don't recommend it. If you really have a great deal of control over that babbler and you have a great deal of experience meditating, then you're going to find that when you're doing any form of psychedelic that there's a lot of mental stimulation going on. You're hypersensitive. You've got collage colors coming in, maybe sensory to color or sound or whatever, whatever hallucinogen you, you, know, you decide to do. The point is you have to control that. That's the hard part. If you can control that and sustain that control, okay, and focus on your meditation and stay in your meditation with that exterior kind of push going on, fine. But, you know, remember the old adage, too much of something's going to end up breaking your neural system in your brain. You're going to be slamming the door so hard open and closed in some cases, if you're not careful, that you're going to break the hinges or you're going to break the frame. If you break the frame, you're really screwed. But then I would say magnetic pill, magnetic pill, magnetic pill, because it has helped people with some of the worst situations in their life from addictions and chemicals that never thought they would get their, their, their sharpness back. And it did. Uh, I think we've just got two minutes left. Any, okay. Any, any, any final any thoughts? Any last questions? Final thoughts on, for me? I could say for final thoughts, just All the right. magnetic pill. Um, sometimes like you really feel like just buzzing like in your in your mind chakra or stuff and, it, and you just know it's not placebo because like it's been around for almost 15 years i've taken it on and off and i know it works yeah we don't really push it very hard i think people in in our our community kind of see maybe ads for it but in general we don't really push it very hard um it's good stuff. That's all I'll say. It's good stuff. It's made to expand your consciousness. It's made to increase your, your memory. But, you know, you've got to try it to decide. I'm a big believer in that. Listen, pay for the shipping. We're going to hook you up with a sample. I believe you're going to love it. Most people have it. Love it. Uh, if you think it's not working, just don't take it for a month and then decide. But you may not remember that uh, what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, folks, I'm going to wrap it up. I hope this uh, session was uh, worthwhile. Remember, 60% off uh, on the foundation set. It is excellent, but it's old school. There's going to be cats meowing and dogs barking, and it's a table recorder. I haven't changed that thing in 20 years. I don't know how long. It's been maybe 15 since, since HBO. But the point is, is that, um, you know, I don't work from a script. I don't pay for a corporate office and, and have everything refined. I like to keep it real deal, grassroots, and I don't ever want to become uh, commercialized. I want to be me. And uh, cussing, swearing, yelling, and all that, it just means that I'm real. And uh, I'm not just doing it behind the, the, the scenes trying to portray myself as this squeaky spiritual person that's awesome. Uh, I'm just trying to be real. And I hope you guys can appreciate that. Good night. A lot of people ask us, where is the best place to start with our courses and material? The fundamental backbone of everything in our catalog is the Foundation Meditation System. This is a unique meditation technique geared to the purpose of absorbing prana, stimulating key regions of the body that enhance sensory development, and allow one to tap into a source of unbridled spiritual energy. 
Foundation Meditation can be learned in our book, Meditation Within Eternity, or you can visit our website, foundationmeditation.com, to acquire the audio course. Again, that's foundationmeditation.com. Each of Eric's books comes with a secure readers-only section online that contains a treasure trove of complimentary free training material. When you add up all the free training you get with each book, you have a combined total value of over $1,000 in additional content. This includes classes, guided meditation exercises, and more. Digital and physical copies are available at higherbalancebooks.com. Order the set on discount now, and we'll also send you a free guru deck in the mail for physical orders. Again, that's higherbalancebooks.com. Go there now, order your set, and join the growing movement of spiritual adepts. Follow us on Instagram at Higher Balance Institute, all one word. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a positive review to help others like yourself find this knowledge. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit our online store at higherbalance.com. When I was young, I recall sitting in the back seat of the family car as we drove somewheres, probably just to get away. I remember seeing the rivets of the back seat, the leather contour, the fabric and texture of the floor mat. I was small. I remember looking upward through the window, seeing the reflection of the glass of myself, a metal lining along the glass trim. I could only see the trees and the sky moving by. I thought I could touch it, so I did, reaching my hand out the window to touch it. I felt it. I felt the air pushing and moving beneath my hand and the warmth of the sun upon its back. I think it was at that moment I began to awaken knowing that sometimes when you want to find something, you don't always find it in the way that you think you're going to. You see, my hand, it moved against the wind, pushing, weaving, feeling it, touching it, and the sun warming, soothing, healing. Somewhere in between, I flew. Higher balance, we think outside of the box, a new kind of spirituality, a new kind of meditation, a revolution in consciousness. Thank you for listening to Rebel Guru Radio. 